0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My brothers and sisters, greetings from the San Francisco Bay Area. My name is Matthew Knight. I am blessed to be a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Portland, Oregon. I'm studying down here uh, in Menlo Park, California at St. Patrick's Seminary. And I'm grateful to be able to speak to you today as part of the Ignite Your Torch Conference. I came on this conference in person a few years back. I had a wonderful time. And I know a lot of my parishioners from St. Joseph's Parish in Roseburg, Oregon are probably participating now uh, over the internet. And so if any of you are watching, God bless you guys, I'm praying for you. In this conference, I would like to speak to you about one of the most basic prayers of our Catholic tradition. Now, if I were to ask you, what's your favorite prayer I imagine I might get some answers like the Our Father, the Hail Mary, maybe the Rosary. I would not expect any of you to to name the sign of the cross as one of your favorite prayers. Why is that? Well, first of all, this prayer is so basic. This prayer is so fundamental. We often, you know, we, we pray the sign of the cross before and after just about every important thing we do, right? If we begin to pray, like if we start to pray the rosary, we begin and end with the sign of the cross. Oftentimes when we have a meal, think about a family meal, hopefully you all with your families will pray before and after the meal. And usually that will include the sign of the cross to mark the beginning and the end of the meal. God help you if you take a bite of your steak before you make the sign of the cross, all right? That doesn't count. You gotta start the meal over again, all right? Think about the mass. At the Mass, we begin and end with the sign of the cross. Here at the seminary, our classes begin and end this way, and so on. So the sign of the cross usually marks for us either something important is about to happen, or it's just finished. And so for that reason, I think, we can make the sign of the cross almost mindlessly, without paying much attention, either to the words or to the movements. But this prayer, let me just suggest something to you. This prayer, the sign of the cross, which for many of you is probably the first prayer you ever learned how to say. This prayer, if we take a deep look into it, and if we just, if we just explore it, this prayer can reveal to us the depths of the identity of God, who God is, and who we are, and who God intends for us to be. The sign of the cross can become a school of the Christian life. And so, guys, let's dive in. Now the first point I want to make about the sign of the cross is that this is a prayer of the body, all right? And this is something so beautiful about Catholicism. If any of you out there are converts, like I'm a convert. okay, I became Catholic when I was in high school. I remember so clearly the first mass I ever went to. I was floored by seeing all of these people, hundreds of people together in unison, making the sign of the cross and kneeling to pray. This is something, I came from a a liberal Protestant tradition, all right? This is something I had never seen in my life. (laughs) Christians together praying with the body, praying with with their whole selves, like who does that? But that's a deep truth about our human person. We're not just our intellect. We're not just kind of a brain floating out there somewhere and like controlling this, this crude matter, like Master Yoda would say, through some kind of uh, uh, puppet, puppetry or something like that. No way. We're more than just our minds. We're more than just our, our souls or our spirits. That's all true. But as St. John Paul II says so beautifully, you are your body. You don't have a body. You are your body and I hope that there's some other conferences on this retreat about the theology of the body. I really encourage you guys to check that out if it's available, because this is such a deep truth we need to recover. You are your body. And so when we pray, the scripture says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, our strength in part, and in a major part, resides in our bodies. So that's why in the, the sacred liturgy, the Catholic liturgy, like think about the Mass, uh, we pray so much with our bodies. We make the sign of the cross. We strike ourselves over our hearts as we say, I confess through my fault, through my most grievous fault. We bow, we kneel, uh, we join our hands to pray, Right? And all of these bodily disciplines, the the way that we act with our body, the way that we behave with our body, influences the way we can pray with our mind and with our heart. Because we're all one organism, we're one person. It's not as if our body is completely divorced from our intellect or our spirit or our soul. This is why I had a spiritual director once in the seminary who diagnosed uh, a problem with my prayer this way. He said, when you go to pray, make sure that you're sitting upright in the chair and you have your feet firmly planted on the ground and you just place your hands loosely into your lap. And this is, a, this is it's like if you, if you play baseball and your coach is correcting your stance so you can hit the ball better. Like, this is just a fact. The way that we sit, the way that we stand, the way that we place our hands, it all has an effect on our souls. So when we make the sign of the cross with our hands moving upon our body, this affects the interior disposition of our hearts and our minds and our souls to be able to pray in a certain way. If we're mindful of what we're doing, certainly we can do it mindlessly. And we've all had this experience uh, of doing things thoughtlessly, you know? And sometimes you might be doing something like you're uh, maybe moving your leg up and down, or you're uh, twiddling your thumbs or playing with a pencil or something. You don't even realize you're doing it. And sometimes the sign of the cross can be like that for us, just a reflexive action. So I want to invite you to perform the sign of the cross reflectively. And I'm going to take you through just two reflections on this prayer. First, about the words. Second, about the movement. All right. So let's just pray together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you noticed, as I offered that prayer. Um, this is profoundly significant. We pray in the name, right, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't pray into the names, all right. This expresses a deep truth about God. You all know this, but our God, the Blessed Trinity, is like nothing else in creation. God, of course, stands beyond creation. God is utterly transcendent. And God, in the mystery of God's inner life, like who God is in himself, God is both one and three. And I want to just unpack this because this is so important, guys. So think about if you had three human beings. Imagine I'm here, and uh, I've got my buddy John over here and Jake over here. We're three human beings, all right? And so what is a human being? Well, a human being is someone who has a human nature. But if you have three men who are here in front of you, we all have the same nature. We all have the same human nature, all right? But we're different individuals, we're distinct. And so I'm sitting here talking to you. I can't speak to you with John's voice. I can't think about you with Jake's intellect. I can't love you with John's will. I can only speak to you with my voice, and and think about you with my intellect and love you with my will. But they are distinct from me. They're different individuals under the same generic nature, the same species if you want, but different individuals. We're not one, we're only three. Or if you wanna say we're one, we're one in a very generic sense. Like you could say, all of humanity is one because we have the same nature, but that's not the way we're talking about God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not like me and John and Jake. And by the way, please don't think I'm crazy. There's no one else here, all right? <laughs> but when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're not three, three absolutely distinct and different individuals who simply share a common nature. When we speak about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what we're speaking about is this. They are three distinct persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is neither the Father nor the Son. They are distinct, but they are one in that they have the very same nature. Not just the same generic nature, not just the same species like you and I do. They have the same nature as each one of us has his own nature. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have the same nature in common. So let me give you just a little bit clearer of an example. When we speak about God's love, the Father loves you. The Son loves you. The Holy Spirit loves you. And they are not loving you with their own individual loves. They are loving you with one love. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit love you with the one divine love. So when Scripture talks about the love of God poured out into our hearts, that's the love of the Father, the love of the Son, and the love of the Holy Spirit. Not three distinct loves, but one love. When we talk about God knowing you, all right? All three persons of the Holy Trinity know you with one knowledge. But they each know you and love you in a distinct way. The Father knows and loves us in a fatherly way. The Son knows us and loves us in a filial, that's a Son-like way, and the Holy Spirit knows and loves us in His own unique way. And so, let me just take you for a second into the heart of the Blessed Trinity, all right? And this is no small thing. (laughs) Just close your eyes for a sec, and I'm reminded of something a professor of mine once said. He said, everyone wants to go to outer space, but uh, it's a far more exciting adventure to go into inner space, right? Alright, so just close your eyes for a sec, and I want you to just envision, envision the Father. Alright, and I want to acknowledge just for a moment here, as we're going into prayer, that for many of us, our image of the Father can be distorted or injured because of wounds, perhaps, that we've received from our own fathers. And so as we're going into this Prayer, just pay attention to yourself, friends, and um, pay attention to your heart. And as I'm speaking about the Father, if that's an area of pain for you, or if, um, if you notice perhaps a kind of a tightness or a tension uh, in your body, maybe your chest or your eyes or something, if that's coming up, I just want you to be honest with God about that in your prayer, okay? You don't have to run from that. Don't pretend like it's not there. But if if you're noticing that, if you're noticing that resistance in yourself, just be honest about it with God and say, Lord, God, I'm afraid right now. I'm in pain. God, just come to me. Reveal Yourself to me. Minister to me. We ask You, Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Sonship, to come into our hearts, into the hearts of everyone viewing this video, to just minister to our hearts. Be that love of God poured out into us especially into the parts of our hearts where we're most vulnerable and most wounded. Just come, Holy Spirit, whom Jesus promised that you would come to reveal to us all things. And in the deepest places of our hearts, just reveal to us, reveal to us who you are, who the Father is, and who we are to Him. Amen. Now, friends, just envision the Father for a moment consider consider who he is the father is infinite and absolutely transcendent it's like he's not just a being among beings like you got me and you got jake and john and there's a rock over there and there's a bird and there's my dog and then there's god no god is infinitely above and he in fact stands outside all of creation the whole created order God is outside of it, and yet surrounding it and penetrating it. And so St. Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. So for everything that exists, God is, God the Father, is the being of everything that is. That might be a little hard to get your minds around, right? Because this is a mystery that's beyond us. But just consider, this is, this is God. This is God who is infinite who is omnipresent. He's suffusing everything that exists. He is the motion in my moving. He's the breathing in my breathing. He's the life in my living. And yet he's infinitely outside and beyond and greater than all of his creatures. Now, for this omnipotent God, the Father, what's the greatest act that he could possibly do? You might think about creation, but remember, the book of Genesis teaches us that God spoke and it came into being. I don't know about for you, but speaking is not a lot of effort. For me to speak right now is not, uh, is not exhausting me, <laughs> and far less so for God. So for Him to create everything that is, think of all the galaxies that He set into motion, all the distant stars and planets from the level of the tiniest atoms, to create everything for him, was no exertion. Now for this God, I want to just propose this to you. The greatest thing that he could do would be to pour himself out. Just imagine, if this God, who is infinite and omnipresent and omniscient and omnipotent, he has all power, all knowledge, if this God could somehow share himself, if he could, if he could, take the depths of his being and give it to another and hold nothing back, but pour himself out in self-gift, in self-donation, wouldn't that not be the greatest act of such a being as this? Would that not be greater? Because, Because in creating everything that is, God didn't exhaust himself. Sure, in making human beings, God stamped us with his image. He made us in his image and likeness like Genesis teaches us. But God didn't pour himself out completely into us. He didn't, he didn't give himself over in a, in a full way. That would, be, that would be impossible. We are finite. We're limited. God is infinite. Imagine trying to pour an infinite quantity of water into a tiny little cup. There's no way. But just consider Is there anything greater that God can do than to give himself over in this way, if it were possible, to hold nothing in remainder, to give it all? Now consider, our God is not just one. Our God is not just a single, if this is the word we learn in philosophy, a monad, all right, that means a kind of a a oneness, like a a blob God, all right, an undifferentiated blob of Godness. This is not our God. Our God is not the force. That's not how the force works. Our God, our God is a communion of love. And what does that look like in practice? That looks like this, in all eternity, and eternity doesn't mean sometime in the past. Eternity is now. Eternity is an infinite and continual present. And so, in all eternity, that means right now and forever, unto ages of ages. Amen. Forever. God the Father is pouring Himself out, giving Himself utterly and without remainder. To whom? To the Son. And the Son is not another God, remember. He's not like enough, he's not like if I were, and this is impossible, but if I were to pour myself out and give myself to another human being, it's not like that. God, precisely by this act of self-gift, generates the Son in an eternal and infinite act of love. Think about that. That's who our God is. That's who the Father is. He's, if you want to talk about it this way, the primal lover. He's the original lover. Because God in his eternal being is continually giving himself. Absolutely. And that absolute and eternal self-gift generates the Son. And the Son, who's the perfect image of the Father, That means he lacks nothing of who the Father is. So if the Father held anything back, it wouldn't be a perfect act, right? This is part of God's identity. God is all perfect. So for God to be who he is, he must be giving himself in this way. This is the greatest thing God can do. He must be doing it. If he were not doing it, he would not be perfect. And if God were to give himself, but not all of himself, he's going to hold, ha, ho, hoard or hold back a little bit of his power and not give it away, then it wouldn't be perfect. But our God is perfect. And so in generating the Son, he gives everything he is, and the Son lacks nothing of the Father's power. The Son has it all. And so the Son, who is one God with the Father, but stands as a distinct person, He's fathered, if you want, by the Father. He's generated by the Father. And the Son, in an infinite and eternal and continual act, gives himself back to the Father. This is the mystery at the heart of the blessed Trinity, at the heart of our God. Who is God? God is the one who is eternally giving himself. The Father to the Son and the Son to the Father. The Father gives Himself in an act of self-surrender, pouring Himself out, a pure gift of love. He's not desiring to get anything in return. He simply gives Himself. This is what love does. Love always gives itself. The Father gives Himself. The Son receives everything from the Father. He receives His very being from the Father. And the Son... In an eternal act of filial, that means son-like, child-like love, gives it all back to the Father. He doesn't hold on jealously to what he's received, but he receives it with open hands and with deep gratitude and pours it all back. And so this this is the way God is. Continually giving, continually receiving. And the Father continually receiving from the Son in the Son's reciprocal self-gift. And the Son continually receiving from the Father and giving back to the Father. It's a continual exchange. It's a communion in which nothing is lacking. And from this communion proceeds the Holy Spirit. The proper name, if you want, of the Holy Spirit, you could say is love. Or maybe better, because God is love. Each of the three persons is love in a distinct way. You could say the Holy Spirit is gift. So the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is the love in their loving. And this love, because their self-gift is perfect, right? The self-gift lacks nothing. Then the gift is also a person. The gift is also a person. So the Holy Spirit also is not just some kind of a life force. The Holy Spirit is personal. So now, my brothers and sisters, I hope, let's just zoom out for a sec. Wow, we really went deep there. Just consider for a sec what this means. What this means. This means in God, there is a kind of a family. In God, there's a communion. The deepest mystery of who God is. And he's revealed himself, he's revealed this to us. And we'll talk about that more in a sec. But The deepest mystery of who God is, is love, self-surrender, self-gift. And you can see how each of these three divine persons, they're all united, they're all one God. But they each have their own distinct way of loving, don't they? The Father loves first, the Father goes first. Everything proceeds ultimately from the Father. And so the Father from all eternity gives himself, holding nothing back. He's the giver. The Son is the one who receives. And so the Son from all eternity is receiving his identity from the Father, he's receiving his being from the Father. He's the one who receives and returns the gift in gratitude. And the Spirit is the one who is given. The Spirit is the gift. Now, let's think for a minute about ourselves. How do we fit into this, right? This is an eternal mystery. This is a deep mystery. And we little human beings down here on planet Earth, how do we factor in? Well, listen to what God has told us. First of all, he created us in his own image and likeness. The book of Genesis makes that very clear. What does it mean if we are made in the image and likeness of a God like that? It means we're made for communion. Every single one of you, my brothers and my sisters, you are made for communion. You are made for love. You are made for love not just in a an abstract sense, or in a, a kind of a fluffy sense, you're made for a godlike love. You're made to love and to be loved excellently in the way that the Holy Trinity loves. And the shape of that love is self-gift, self-surrender. Secondly, consider that this God did not desire to remain distant from us, no. God didn't just create the world and kind of set things moving and then retreat into his own interior life of love. (laughs) Indeed, that would be be nonsense because that doesn't fit, does it, with what we've seen about who God is, this God who's continually giving himself. God doesn't just give himself a little bit to creation, God is giving himself here and now. And the greatest sign of how God gave himself to us, to the world, is that the Son became a human being. He became a man. He became one of us. The letter to the Philippians puts this really beautifully. Get a chance, if, you, if you get a chance, look it up. It's in chapter 2, Philippians. God did not deem divinity something to be grasped at, right? The Son didn't hold on tight to his divine identity, but he freely surrendered it in becoming man. Now, he didn't stop being God when he became man, but he became one of us to come down and inhabit our human condition, to have a body like we do, with everything that entails, to suffer like we do in order to redeem everything of our human nature. That's how intimately involved God is with us. And this is a great saying from from the fathers of the church, from St. Irenaeus. God became man so that man, humanity, might become God. God did not make you to pay bills and die god made you to join him in eternal communion in other words he made us to stand in the midst in the center of that eternal exchange of love and brothers and sisters just think about how glorious that is all right we all have different family backgrounds some of us have known incredible love from our families some of us have known rejection and abandonment. And I just want you to think for a moment, wherever you're coming from, just imagine yourself standing in the center of, a, of, of this, I imagine it like a group hug, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just imagine what their communion looks like. This perfect communion where, nothing, where no love is lacking. Nothing is lacking. God made us for that. God became one of us so that we could become one with him. And this is the prayer of Jesus for us. Before he went to the Last Supper and he went to his crucifixion and death, Jesus prayed with his apostles. He prayed to the Father. This is John chapter 17. Another one to go on your to-do list. Look it up. John chapter 17. Jesus prays to the Father, Father, glorify me now with the glory I had with you before the world was made. And he speaks his desire to the Father, he says, may they be one, even as you and I are one, may they be one in us. Now, let's just bring this back from this, you know, we're in this broad, eternal perspective. Let's bring it back down here to the level of like here and now, all right? We've been talking about this beautiful identity of the Father, these three divine persons who are united in one eternal and perfect communion of love. Now, let's just consider for a moment the beauty of this word in, in the name, the one name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in Greek, I'm not gonna give you a whole Greek lesson. I'm not remotely qualified but this is something I do know. In Greek, there's two words for in. You got the word en, okay. It's pretty self-explanatory. It's like I'm in the room, en. And then there's ace, ace. And ace means more like into, to move into. Which one do you think we use in the sign of the cross in Greek? Ace animato patras, kaito huyo, kaito hagio panumatu. Ace. That means when we make the sign of the cross, we're not just praying in God's name. Like um, you know, you could do something, you could do something in your father's name. If your father empowers you to do it, if he gives you legal responsibility, you could sign a contract in his name. For example, I'm just saying, as an example. But that's not how we're praying. We're not praying in God's name like we're His representatives or something like that. We're praying into God's name. So when we make the sign of the cross, just, just imagine you're being plunged into the heart of the blessed Trinity. You're entering into the very heart of the eternal mystery. You're going into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're going right to the heart. Now we've talked about the meaning of the words, right? We've we've got that pretty clear. Now I just want to talk for a moment about the movements. First, we start up here in the name of the Father. We're up here at the level of our mind, our intellect, our will. This is the whole kind of spiritual part of us. This is the highest part of us, right? Our head, the highest part of ourselves, our brain, if you want. And so at this level, we begin our prayer here. It's fitting that we begin here with the Father, Because remember, the Father is the primal lover. He's the origin of all that is. So we begin with the Father, and we begin at the level of our intellect and our spiritual self. And here, as we pray, you can just imagine that we're, we're consecrating to God the highest, the very highest part of ourselves, the most noble part of our being. But we don't stop there, because you are your body. You're not just your spirit. And so we move down... In the name of the sun. And here we go down to the, the most human, material, fleshy part of ourselves. We go to our guts, if you want, or maybe our solar plexus. they the kind of center of our being, right? And so as we go here, we consecrate to God everything that's most human about us. Our, our deepest desires, our longings, our urges, our hunger, our thirst. We hold nothing back from Him because He knows it all. After all, He became one of us. And so how fitting that at this level we pray in the name of the Son who became incarnate. And notice, we move from the Father to the Son. We move from the heights down to the depths. And is that not the very motion that the Son of God followed when He became incarnate, when He became one of us? He did not hold His divinity as something to be grasped at, but He emptied Himself, taking the form of man and coming down to pitch his tent, if you want, in our midst. And then from here, from the center of our being, we move out to our left and then to our right, to the furthest extent of us, if you want. And here we pray in the name of the Holy Spirit. And you can just see, again, the fittingness of this movement. The Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son as gift to expand out and to fill all creation with love and with life. The Holy Spirit, uh, St. John Paul II says, and as we say in the Creed, in fact, is Dominum et vivificantum, the Lord and the Giver of Life. He's Lord because He's God, He's divine. But part of His unique and distinct personal identity is to be the Giver of Life. Yeah, vivificantum. And so the holy spirit expands out to fill us with divine life to fill us with love and he doesn't stop at the at the extent of our being at our borders but he wants to extend out through our arms and our hands to the world because think about it we use our hands to engage you can reach out and shake somebody's hand you can give them a hug or you can you know you can get out there and fight against injustice right I mean, we're always using our hands to engage in the world And the movement of the Holy Spirit in the sign of the cross is to sanctify the very organs or instruments by which we interact with the world so that we become, as we seal ourselves with the Blessed Trinity, we become a true and living icon of the Blessed Trinity. And we can go out into the world and be an image of God, of God who loves, of God who gives himself, of God who holds nothing back. So friends, next time you make the sign of the cross, think about everything that we've just discussed. As you pray up here into the name of the Father, think about who this Father is. He's a primal lover. He's a primal lover. He holds nothing in reserve. And as we pray into the name of the Son, think about this Son. Think about this Son who received everything from the Father and gave everything back with open hands. And as you pray into the name of the Holy Spirit, think about the Spirit, the Giver of life, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of Sonship, whom the Father and the Son send into our hearts to convict us of our identity and to transform us deeply from within, to carry that truth out into the world. And just one final word brothers and sisters about the overall shape of this movement the shape is the cross why is that is that an accident no no just look behind me if you would at this crucifix just consider that the sign of the cross is the ultimate sign of the love of god on the cross Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the blessed trinity, spread his arms wide and he gave everything he had and everything he was for love of humankind, for love of you and me. And he held nothing back. And he was just doing what he learned from the Father, right? The Father who generated him in all eternity by holding nothing in reserve. Now the Son in time, in history, spreads his arms wide and loves us and he doesn't stop loving us he loves us at his own cost he gives of his own he gives his own blood he pours it out he gives his own breath he gives up his life and he, he hangs there and he withstands our rejection and our abandonment and our hatred and he does not turn away and he never stops He gives to his last breath this is the love of god for us this is the love of god for you and if nothing else please remember this when you make the sign of the cross that you're sealing yourself on your body with the greatest sign that there has ever been and will ever be of the love of god brothers and sisters, may God bless you. And may this simple prayer, the sign of the, sign of the cross, the most basic of all prayers, may this prayer open up for you the beautiful vistas of God's love and His desire for you. I pray that the remainder of your retreat will be overflowing with blessings and that you will come to know this God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in a new and an intimate way. Now and for the rest of your lives unto the ages of ages. Amen.